You are listening to WRIRLP 97.3 FM Richmond, and this is RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania. This is Melissa. This is Jesse. And Francesca. And welcome to the March 28th edition of Municipal Mania, which starts part one of a two-part series discussing Richmond Public Schools' new superintendent, Jason Camrus. In part one, we crack the book for a gen ed history course that focuses on Superintendent Camrus's background and programs he has been involved with previously. In part two, we explore Camrus's vision and plans for Richmond Public Schools. Before we dive into the deep end of the research pool, let's pause for a moment to get organizational chart. Mm. Org chart and duties. You said duties. <laughs> I did say duties. Yeah. According to Section 7 of the Richmond School Board Policy Manual, the division superintendent is the chief executive and administrative officer of the school board. As such, a superintendent has two primary duties. The first is to direct and supervise the work of the schools and employees. Second, it is the superintendent's responsibility to leverage and coordinate all resources available to the division to develop an educational program to bring out the best effort in all students. Other duties of the superintendent include enforcing school board policies, preparing the annual budget for school board consideration, approve and direct all expenditures, prepare the division's annual calendar, attend school board meetings and committees, study the progress and identify school needs, prepare reports for the city's branches of elected government, notify the public of the activities and needs of the division, maintain accurate attendance records, and participate in required annual professional development. To support the superintendent, every superintendent has a cabinet. Richmond Public Schools cabinet used to consist of nine members. However, recently cameras consolidated the nine positions to six. The positions are chief of staff, chief of schools, cheap, cheap, cheap. <laughs> it is anything but cheap. Mm-mm. Right? Ain't nothing cheap about these chiefs. Chief Operating Officer, Chief Academic Officer, Chief Engagement Officer, Chief Talent Officer, and Chief Crazy Horse. The new lean six-person administrative team does not come without at least some fat. So far, five of the positions have been filled, and the average salary of the cabinet is $177,924. Wow, that's more than my house costs. The former cabinet's average salary was $141,646. Also of note is that three of the five members hired as part of Camrus's cabinet are former D.C. public schools employees, but we will get to that at a later point. How did we get here and who the heck is this guy Camrus you keep reading and hearing about? On April 22, 2017, RPS board announced Dr. Dana Bedden would leave his post as superintendent effective June 30th. RPS had six months from the departure date to recruit, select, and put a new superintendent in place. The original superintendent search timeline was presented during an RPS board meeting on June 26 with the target completion date of September. Ultimately, the board passed a motion to allow the search committee to extend the timeline to December 1st if needed. On November 20th, though, RPS board voted unanimously to name Camrus as superintendent effective February 1st, 2018. Jason Camrus graduated from Princeton University in 1995 with a BA in public policy and a master's degree in education from the Harvard Graduate School of Education. Fresh out of college through the Teach for America program, Camrus became a 7th and 8th grade math teacher at John Phillips Sousa Middle School in the District of Columbia Public Schools. Camrus was named Teacher of the Year in 2005 and served as an education policy advisor on Obama's 2008 presidential campaign. Cameras was hired by DCPS Chancellor Michelle Rhee to be the chief of human capital, where he designed the teacher evaluation system called IMPACT. When Rhee resigned as chancellor in 2010, she was replaced by Rhee Protégé and then Deputy Chancellor Kaya Henderson. In June 2016, Henderson resigned and a few months later, Antoine Wilson was selected to fill the role. Despite the changes in leadership, Cameras remained in DCPS and most recently was the chief of instructional practice. The programs Cameras has worked on in DCPS promote paying teachers for performance, teacher evaluations, and teacher training. Having researched
researched Jason Cameras extensively, there are reasons I think we should be excited to have him working in our school district. That said, not everything and everyone is perfect. There are opinions out there on the internet that would make you think Cameras can walk on water, but at the same time, there are also scathing criticisms of Cameras and his policies. No matter what, we have to put this in perspective. At the end of the day, we are Richmond Public Schools, not DC Public Schools. Whatever any superintendent believes or wants to do will have to be customized to fit RPS needs and resources. In my opinion, the best thing any of us can do is try to understand all sides of the issue. So instead of living in fear or just simply disagreeing, we can work together to identify solutions that address our concerns with whatever programs or policies Cameras, the board, or anyone else wants to suggest. While Cameras is not an elected official, he serves at the will of the school board that we elected. We as citizens must stay vigilant and work together to hold him and our board accountable to doing their jobs. So step one, let's talk about what these policies are. While at DC Public Schools as the chief human capital under then-Chancellor Michelle Ree, Cameras designed the teacher evaluation system called IMPACT. IMPACT is DCPS's performance assessment and reward system for teachers and staff. According to the DCPS website, IMPACT is supposed to clarify expectations, provide feedback, facilitate collaboration, drive professional development, and retain great people. Each position in the school district is evaluated based on criteria outlined annually in guidebooks that are specific to the role and responsibilities. The metrics include items such as measuring a teacher's instructional expertise, student test data, student assessed instructional culture, collaboration with the community, professional requirements such as attendance, and being on time and adhering to the district's policies. The impact evaluations are conducted by school administration using a set rubric for evaluation. Falling with an impact is a program called Learning Together to Advance Our Practice, a.k.a. LEAP. I'm sorry, can we pause and just have this moment really quick where learning together to advance our practice How does, does not spell LEAP. So what they actually do is they capitalize the L-E in mm-hmm. learning. I see it. Just thought I'd really have to put that. Because I was looking for ridiculous. the E. I was like, where's evaluation it's, or something in there? No, no normally I, it has L-E capital, but whatever. LAP. LATAP. Instead of calling it LAP. Yeah, That's or it. I guess it'd be le tap, yeah. It would be le, together. Le tap. That's they French tap. for the tap. Bye. <laughs> Bye. LEAP is DCPS's teacher professional development model that is meant to leverage collaboration, focus on practicing skills, and providing leadership roles for teachers to become context experts or LEAP leaders. The intention of LEAP is to provide teachers with the resources they need to be successful within the impact model. At the end of the year, teachers are eligible to receive annual bonuses based on their impact performance ratings. In addition, to promote development, there is another component known as Leadership Initiative for Teachers, or Lift. Lift is a career ladder that provides a path for teachers to increase their base salary based on where they are on the career ladder. To give you a frame of reference of what all of this means for teacher pocketbooks, in the 2011-2012 school year in DCPS's maximum base pay was $106,540, in addition to bonuses of up to $25,000 annually per year. There are pros and cons to every policy. Teacher valuations and performance-based pay are no different. So that being said, let's dive into discussing the arguments in favor of this system before getting to the inevitable negatives. So I guess pros first. I mean, I think one of the most obvious pros in theory, again, is when you look at what's an average school teacher making right now in Richmond Public Schools, thirty, forty thousand dollars yeah. When you look at the potential to pay somebody 100000 a six-figure salary plus bonuses, in theory, you should be able to get a higher quality teacher consistently across the board who provides a higher quality experience, in theory. In theory. As well as, I think, a lot of people, whether it's good or not, we'll talk about the 
cons in a minute. When you incentivize something, it does drive people to reach a goal, whether (laughs) they do it properly or not. People tend to at least have having a goal to reach will probably produce, I think, some better practices or best practices out of our teachers in a way. So that's something that could be an uh, outcome. I think it's funny, by the way, how reserved, like reservation, you can just hear in our voices, like, well, in theory. Well, well <laughs> I, I think I have a different perspective just a little bit because my mom is a school teacher. And so I know that with my, and she's also suffering from like severe arthritis right now, which keeps her from being at work as much as she's as she likes this past year but if my mom after she's been teaching for you know 25 years and especially in situations like her and she's not the only one for a while she was in a trailer then they moved her into a closet then she moved to a cart (laughs) and she was traveling up and down the hallways on a cart and then she was in a classroom and then you have all of these different requirements now that are being added to or criteria that I have to meet but you know for each job description is mine gonna reflect the fact that I just moved from a classroom within three years to a cart and I don't no longer have ability to use technology in my classroom. I'm no longer a core teacher because you moved me to something sort of, sort of like a resource teacher. My mom is like a personal finance teacher, which for us new age people, that's uh, old school home ec. So, you know, which they don't teach home economics anymore in school. Just thinking about teachers like her, resource teachers or extracurricular teachers that have kind of different goals to meet that don't necessarily get tests, pass or fail. Their class could be pass or fail or may not have like a letter number. How then does that program kind of, does it help or hurt her? Because And I'll I'll mention that kind of partially address that and I haven't dug into all the guidebooks in them. There's a ton of guidebooks that in the impact program it does try to say, well this type of teacher who are doing value added services. Yes. Or this type a teacher who's doing elementary or if they're special education teachers mm-hmm. they do try to come up with very specific criteria and publish those which to me I think is a, a positive of a program potentially when we look at it at face value and this is me speaking from somebody who works in a corporate environment that has sales expectations with performance metrics I love performance management but when you come to to schools and teachers I think I do have a lot of reservations I can see on face value where there's a lot of positive things like it should be a good thing to have people who are able to be rated and judged and it gives them something to work for. This could also be a positive because they have LEAP or the LIFT program where Mm -hmm. you are having opportunities for leadership development with teachers. It's an organized personal development or professional development program to Mm -hmm. allegedly give teachers the resources of skills that they would need to thrive in this type of situation. I I think there's other positives where you might have better teacher retention. Yeah, I was going to say that uh, hopefully a better rate of pay would keep teachers here but you would think in theory but then maybe the lure of the counties might be too strong when sure you might be getting paid better but are the conditions better i think it's just a tough thing ultimately before we kind of switch over to cons because there's just to me the pros are super obvious this is a very big theory of yeah it makes sense where if you pay people more and you incentivize them you will have teachers who perform better which in results would then translate to better schools better schools with better outcomes for students but i think if we then transition that theory and start to look into reality and look back at what is this really? I I mean, how do you really truly judge somebody on what they do? How do you ensure that it's fair? So there's obviously two options. If you're doing evaluations, is it fair? Well, let's remove human bias for it Mm -hmm. and put it through like a black box and just put in data and then out pops the results. That also has problems with it because how does the data get evaluated? And is it fair to a teacher to not have direct control over those things or understand them fully? 
fully. I think that also you have the bias of a human evaluator where you might be concerned with personal interpretations, personal relationship, out to get each other. And personal bias. We just went to the last school board meeting and we had a teacher stand up and say he's being workplace bullied by his administrative team at his school. So, I mean, how would that work? And then if you have, I know at one point, I think previously they had third-party evaluators, but that also has some flaws in it, I think, of saying you still have bias to some extent. You still have a third-party contractor. You also are putting people in an environment where you could have actually high turnover, where we might want, for example, good teacher retention coming from paying higher salaries. If you're not being rated on the impact model, I believe you have like a two-year window. Somebody can fact check me on that. I think it's two years. Mm -hmm. Where if you're unsuccessful for that amount of time, you're gone. So they're kind be a high amount of by teacher successful turnover. though. So successful based on the ratings. Based that you're on the getting. ratings. That's it. So it's just it. That's yeah. So if and, and that and that's what I'm saying. So you could have a good teacher. Sorry, I'm like wrinkling up my nose. You can't <laughs> yeah. see that through yeah. the radio, but I'm like. You could have a good teacher that has a multitude of other things. This might not be the right school, him or her. This teacher could have, you know, a superior that, you know, just doesn't like them or there's some personal, you know, something going on. And then you're getting, like you said, a bias of impact result because of this. So, I mean, these are all hypotheticals. I guess the reason that we sound so apprehensive about it is because they are all hypothetical. And we're accustomed to expect the worst because that's the state of our school system (laughs) Right now. And I think, you know, it's it doesn't it, it's fair to say that there are absolutely locations and localities. I can't think of them off the top of my head because I haven't looked at those as specifically where this has been successful to some yeah. extent, or at least you'll find every so often every everything has some successes with it. For me, I, I think where I also have a little bit of just angst is what is it that we're evaluating? Is children's education something that you can evaluate on a performance-based system with teachers? The potential also for saying me as a teacher, when I look at performance management metrics, they need to be things that are clearly achievable and that people have direct control over to some extent. We all, all three of us here at least, aren't huge fans of things like SOL tests. Which is another incentivized. Exactly. And you say, though, like me as a teacher, I'm not going to have direct control over what are my kids going to press? What are the questions on this? There's still some level of uncertainty. So no matter what you say in the evaluations and what the metrics are and what bars are, to me, unless it's something that people feel like they are personally able to achieve and you don't have mitigating factors and honestly, let's put it blank, excuses and reasons for things not to happen. Because in that environment where somebody does not feel empowered to achieve the goals, it absolutely opens up when you have that much money on the line. It absolutely opens up the door for somebody to say, you know what, this system's broken anyway, and there's no harm in me cheating it, cheating it. What what ultimately comes down to cheating it. And there are several places where we've seen that happen. One of which is DC public schools. Oh, and right. So Earlier this year, or I guess it was late last year, it started to kind of come out. And then earlier this year, there were stories about attendance records. So we've seen that in schools such as Bailu, 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 um, High in DCPS, where it it was an issue of people who were graduating without the proper attendance records. And the graduation rate, of course, looked great. So when we look and see, for example, an entire school district that under Michelle Ree, who, if anybody remembers Michelle Ree, or that sounds familiar it's probably from a time magazine cover where she looked super evil and angry with a broom (laughs) um yeah as kind of a witchy figure of education reform and this is where this all kind of went is that on the outside you have these massive massive improvements 
in D.C. public schools mm-hmm. from the outside. And it looks like these programs are working. But you have then stories come out of it, like the school, there was an, an epidemic of the mm-hmm. district that they were not properly reporting attendance record. Basically, the principals, I believe it was, had benefits of bonuses that are tied to attendance records. And then they also were the people who reported the attendance and they were held accountable to it. So they would instruct their teachers allegedly to not report suspensions correctly, uh, of kind of adjusting and, and fudging, honestly, mark, the yeah, data. Mark, mark them present. Yeah. And, and so to me, even if, let's say that some of these positives are real and let's say that there is an actual improvement of student outcomes where you have people being more successful because I would love to know more things about what's the success rate of people getting jobs after this education because that's what matters to me. Exactly. Not even going to college. What matters is who eventually gets a job. Mm. Right because honestly the paycheck is what's going to matter most. And once they're out on their own. Yeah, and, and success rates of these these things. But when you then see stories where, well, there was an infidelity in this one category, it's really hard not to think, is there infidelity in all of the categories? And I was pulling up some story, I think I saw like three weeks ago, it was reported that nearly 60% of DCPS class of 2018 is off track. What? So... Hold it. Yeah. Is currently off track to graduate. I. How is that even possible? That's not like a couple. How is that possible? And, you know, I, I feel like this apparently the article is talking about how they're releasing the data because they had transparency. They wanted increased transparency. Once an investigation found that one third of last year's graduates got diplomas, even though they didn't meet all graduation requirements. Goodness. So, you know, and, and you start looking at saying, who's the person that is holding the bag in this? And what's the reality? And what concerns me is when you put something into such a performance-based system, you lose the fact and lose sight of the fact that this is about kids having successful lives and giving them a chance. And a strong foundation. And then on the other side of it, even in a hypothetical world where there's just this one thing and we could even prove it's an isolated thing, whatever it is, that doesn't make me feel great about the rest of the system. No. It it absolutely causes me concern. Because the cracks are so big. So, you know, while I'm sure that there are, there will be kids in every instance that will gain from this and you'll have teachers that also will be able to shine through a program like this, but you're also going to have, you know, teachers and students too that will look at the system and say, hmm, this, this is how I can cheat the system and this is how I can do it. And why not? You know, so and it affects everybody. It's it is a trickle down thing. So the teacher knows that, you know, if I get Sally to perform well and do this and do that, then I get my bonus. And so I kind of skate Sally along on certain things to kind of help her out. And then the principal's like, man, this guy doesn't come to school or this guy's missing out on this or that. Or I'm real close to the, the line of not getting my bonus, you know, because I've had too many absences or too many suspensions. So let's just mark them present even though they're suspended and we just will not worry about it. Well, and, you know, again, for as much as we want to say that attendance is something that should be relatively controllable and easy to manage. It's not. It's really not sometimes because what it does is it really, this whole system puts teachers at the center of a child's success and failure. And by at the center, I I feel like it almost puts it as the only thing that's going to help this child succeed. And it ignores the fact that, for example, with things like attendance, there are things that teachers and principals can't account for or address. They can't account for job loss. Well, that's in the parents' parents. court. Right. And I mean, 
that's that's the thing is it's there's other factors that go on with this. I mean, so it's hard for me to say that putting this much emphasis on teachers, it puts so much pressure and ignores every other factor. When we look at things in Richmond where we have, we were just talking about Mayor Stoney's whole child initiative where we're completely acknowledging all of these other factors. And it just seems really incompatible to that concept to some extent to me at least. And we're not saying that it's not going to help. I'm sure, you know, if this system goes through, you know, let's say that this is something that RPS gets, right? And a principal is now... Just to be clear, like we're not, if we say this isn't something that goes through, it's not currently being discussed as a possibility here. Yeah, it's just something that's, it's, it's his it's, it's his program. It's something people are concerned about with him yeah. coming to our district. Yeah, actually, I was about to ask that. So I'm kind of playing the role of the listener here today, mm-hmm. and I'm getting an education from the two of you on this. Mm-hmm. And I was about to ask, is this something that is really, like we think that Cameras is going to implement? Is this a system There's that we a, think he's going to implement? Or is there another option on the table? Well, people think, I think because it was like his his brainchild, his baby with DCPS, people assume that it's he's automatically going to come and bring that as part of his best practices to Richmond, which could be true. At I this think, point, everything that he's been, his response to it all, and people have asked him the question of, are you doing this? His response hasn't been to say no, but his no. response also has been to be very clear that he hasn't said yes. And then he wants to get into having an understanding of the schools, which he's visited all schools. Mm -hmm. He wants to, as a community and as RPS community and as a larger community, build out the strategic plan because these are things as a a superintendent he still hasn't put together at this point. He still has to create the corrective action plan for the memorandum of understanding that says how are we going to address these things. In in Richmond, he would be up a serious challenge if only because when we're talking about $100,000 teacher salaries, where's the money? So I think there's a lot of different things where he's not at the point of even really addressing it, but people are absolutely assuming it. And I will kind of, let's bring this factor into the mix since it's kind of a natural point at now. So since we've discussed the system at this point a little bit and started to talk about our opinions, let's go back to something that we briefly mentioned at the beginning of the discussion. Three of the five cabinet members selected so far by cameras come from DCPS. Michelle Hadasco, I think Hadaxo, whatever. Sorry. Hadaxo. Hadaxo. I'm terrible at name pronunciation. So she was named chief of staff, which is a position that manages communications, drives performance management, and coordinates with the entire administration. Previously, she was the deputy chief of impact in DCPS's Office of Human Capital and worked closely with cameras. Then we have Harry Hughes. He was selected to be chief of schools. He'll manage four cluster superintendents, two for elementary schools, one for middle schools, one for high school. Previously, he was an instructional superintendent in DCPS and he oversaw 11 elementary schools. Finally, there's Darren Simmons. He was named to be chief operating officer, but he's going to take on like CFO and CEO responsibilities all in one. Previously, he was the director of HR data integrity and analytics and deputy chief of employee services until he left the division in 2017. And right now he's like a consultant. So like knowing what we know about DCPS and what we know about impacts at this point and have briefly talked about, he says he's not going to bring this in at least the point. Of, he wants to understand what will fit for the district and whatever they do is is more about the district than his ideas of what works somewhere. At the same time, like, what do you guys think about his decision to bring people from DCPS to RPS? Well, I think maybe it keeps him in his comfort zone. He's got folks around him that he's either worked with before or that they know his way of doing things. But for me personally, I don't want him to be in a comfort zone because that just breeds complacency to me. And I, I really, I don't know the guy yet, but I do hope that he really is going to dig into the history of RPS and its challenges and its positives and formulate a brand new 
plan that works specifically for RPS. I, I honestly don't care what worked for DC schools. We aren't DC schools. So I don't care about this impact thing. I want something new that is specifically tailored for our school system. Well, he hasn't he hasn't necessarily said outright, yes, this is what I'm doing. And I actually like every time, and that could just be because I'm cynical, when people ask him this and he will say, you know, I've been in front of cameras in the presence of the media, what have you, and I've said numerous times that I'm still evaluating the state of RPS right now. And once I've gotten that information and that data, then I can start implementing a plan once I get my team in place. And so I was not surprised when he called on familiar faces to come and join him in Richmond. I mean, that's something that all of us would do. You would sure. want team people that you're comfortable with, that you know, you know what you're going to get out of them. That's great. My only issue, I think, and I think it's not really my issue, but I can understand why people are apprehensive is because people look at what DCPS kind of is and how it's a different, totally different demographic than what we have here in Richmond. And people are like, oh my gosh, here he comes with this charter stuff. Or oh my gosh, here comes impact. You know, and it's like, I kind of want to just kind of see where he goes with this and say, well, let's give him a chance. But the problem with that is we've given several people a chance in the past and that's what's gotten us here. And we can't really afford that type of risk. So I think that's why people are so apprehensive. They're like, we can't afford any more mishaps. We need this thing to go right. And so while Impact may be a viable program that may work in Richmond, it's going to have its bumps regardless of where it is because it is an incentivized program. People do have the, I mean, it's very possible for people to take advantage of it, but maybe it'll help. Maybe it won't. So we've got to trust that if we're going to pay this guy the money that he's getting paid and he's requested that these people that he's bringing in are going to perform so great, then we've got to hold them to it. I think that's the only thing at this point that can be done once they're hired and once they're in. And now they're, as people say, sucking up these huge salaries coming from other places. Some of them took a little bit of pay cut. Some of them got pay raises. But according to other people here in Richmond, they are getting paid way more. I think my problem with it, and I very, as specifically as I can put it, I guess, or my concern, maybe problems too strong. I don't know. My concern is the process. I don't really have a problem with paying somebody an executive salary that's an executive. But what I want our superintendent, whoever he is, to bring to RPS is the best talent for whatever salary is given. And the way this all went down, the board waived the requirement to have the job posted for 10 days. They didn't go through a full application process. They waived that part of the requirements that he could have the people he felt would be best in the roles here. And I understand the idea, or or maybe, I don't know if it's an idea or the the excuse or what it could be of saying, well, this is saving us time. We're getting people in here. We're not having to worry about this hiring process. It's saving money that way. Like, I don't, okay, their start dates aren't till June. So we still have time here. So I can't think of a good reason to me that if the people that you are bringing in are the quality that you say they are and that they're going to be the absolute best people for these jobs, they should have also been able to win and earn these jobs in a competitive process. Sure, against other people mm-hmm. from Richmond who have worked right. in the system before. That might, yeah, that's and, another of my concerns is that half right. of the cabinet is from DCPS. But it's so not we, even that. It's just it's, that the fact that they didn't go through the, they the and they didn't go through normal the, process. And to me, that process then also creates the potential for an echo chamber of 
of people who, when you surround yourself with people who aren't necessarily the right person or the best person as proven in a competitive hiring process, aren't necessarily the best person for the job, you also risk just having people that agree with you. And that's not going to breed good ideas or different ideas. That's going to breed people saying, oh, yes, we all agree with the same thing. There's no one challenging that conversation. So then I worry about whether it's impact or whatever other program are the best ideas going to come out of this team. And then how do we see that result and how do we prove that result? Because if if for Richmond, the best ideas for Richmond, that's the problem. And when we look at the other two cabinet members, if I remember, one is out of Boston Public Schools and there's another one that worked. They actually did work in Virginia, I believe. And then there's still one position, this chief talent officer. Hasn't been filled. Hasn't been filled yet. I'm like, so we don't have qualified candidates here in town? Well, he didn't, the process, the hiring process didn't really look for. Well, and you go back to where his day one was terminating the cabinet, the existing cabinet. So, I mean, yeah, you you were voted in in November. You didn't start till February. So maybe there's some room to say that you were able to find out information in the interim to evaluate people, blah, blah, blah. At the same time, coming in day one and saying you're all terminated effective this date in June. To me, there's also some level of like perception and public buy-in. When you're a leader, you kind of need to establish people's buy-in. And the people who you're putting into roles, you need to give them the advantage of letting them have an opportunity for people to buy into them. Because if they're going to be leaders, they need to be able to buy into them as leaders and the fact that they're the best people for these positions. Because my personal opinion of cameras, just looking at him and ignoring any concerns I might have about policies he's worked under, I think he is a very, very charismatic leader. And that is something that our, our teachers, our administrators deserve. Someone who can inspire them and speak with confidence and positivity. The number of things that he puts out there, even just on social media, and tries to call attention to the positives. It's really neat to see him lead. But we need to let his cabinet have the same level of buy-in of us. And I think I'm cautious to be a full-on obstructionist as he continues to as he continues to implement his plan because I think that does at some level give him an excuse to be able to say, well, X, Y, and Z didn't work because of A, B, and C obstruction. At the same time, I think we need to question it. I think we need to understand it, and we don't have to necessarily just agree with it or be passive about it. And also realize that a lot of citizens have kind of an inborn distrust mm-hmm. for any superintendent. I would say anything anybody who is like tangentially touching the local elected officials we have a distrust of. That is true. (laughs) And it doesn't, and and I think that's the part that's not getting touched or that, you know, I think people can't explain that. That's why people automatically distrust cameras. They, you either hear people, they either really, really like them, like him, or they really, really don't. And they don't even know why yet. <laughs> right. Because he hasn't even been here long enough to dislike well, him. Well, a natural gut they, reaction it's, around it's, here. Yeah. It's not that they dislike him. They dislike his policies that he's worked under and policies of the yeah. district that he's worked under. Yeah. And I think that that's very different from disliking him. Could we assume he had a role in it? Yes. Yeah. Can we assume he believes some of it? Absolutely. I can go back and show places where he agrees with some of it and in research. But does does his belief in those things make him a bad person? No. Oh, no. I wouldn't no. say that no. he's a bad and person. I just, I just think, think that, that we are, are naturally distrusting of anybody. That's the thing is, nervous. I think that's what people are doing is they're attaching these things to where it's everything that has to do with cameras is bad inherently because we disagree with policy. And I think we as people need to figure out how to how to separate those things and have constructive conversations that breed solutions, not just disagreement. And it's not necessarily just him as a person. 
its policies so we can have this conversation about this is what we believe and here's the information that proves what we believe and why we believe it. Absolutely, it all concerns me. You are listening to RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania right here on WRIRLP 97.3 FM, Richmond Independent Radio. And now for a brief interlude. Like at restaurants, you know, when they come and sing to you at your birthday. Happy, happy birthday. And I crawl underneath the table. Happy, happy birthday from all the Shoties crew. Woo! Happy birthday! Cringe. Yes, it's so embarrassing and you can feel all the heat just rise up from your neck into your face and everybody in the entire restaurant is staring at you. Yeah. You have a giant booger. A giant booger. On your face. And so, yeah, the last time somebody did that to me, I actually crawled under the table. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. I just crawled under the table until they left. I told him not to crawl under. I told him, I said, well, you do me a lot better if you just give me my meal for free and not sing. But can I just have the cake? (laughs) Can I just have the free whatever? And not the embarrassment? Stop talking to me. So I think it's an appropriate time for us to pause our show and take a moment Mm. to wish somebody a happy birthday before we continue. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday! <laughs> <laughs> because who doesn't love a birthday radio shout out? Yay! Especially on your own show, Melissa. Happy Yay! birthday! Oh, happy thanks, birthday! Guys. Yeah, in case so anybody much. missed that, it's Melissa's birthday actually today. Yep. As you're listening to this. Yep. Yep. Thirty-nine years ancient. Kill <sighs> <Show> me. <laughs> no, but we did have a wonderful time. The ladies uh, treated me to the most insane <laughs> day. <laughs> I got my face spackled, and we okay. got. We got um, traditional JCPenney <laughs> photos done. If you haven't seen them, please go to our Facebook page. There's an album. And look at our look at our uh, future album cover. I'm yeah, telling our you, album cover of uh, our date, our freshman, you know, debut album. Right, our, of our '90s like New Jack Swing mm-hmm. girl group, and also our ladies detective agency. Yes. Yeah, so tweet us. We want you guys to tweet us what you think um, our al- album cover or our album name should be. Our freshman album. I mean, personally, I like uh, RVA Dirt Volume One, Dirty Panties. I think that would be funny. <laughs> you don't want to go self-titled, just. RV dirt. 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 But she said panties. <laughs> and that makes me giggle. <laughs> so anyway, before we continue, we just wanted to take a moment to pause and wish the bee, the busiest bee, Melissa Yay. Vaughn, a very happy 39th birthday. Woo-hoo. Guys, I hope I have 39 more at least.
awkward note we're gonna go right on back into talking about schools there we go (laughs) (laughs) with all of that you know we've gone through who he is and his background we've talked about like what is impact and this policy this nebulous thing that we're all really worried about and also how that applies to our concerns with his current cabinet but you know i'm kind of interested in everybody's final analysis of not just cameras, but maybe a little teacher evaluations. But I want to start with Melissa because you're kind of hearing it from a listener's perspective of you're not as involved with schools and that side of it. So you're getting some of the content and reacting to it as you hear it. Well, um, as somebody who's naturally suspicious (laughs) of any politician. Insert eye emojis here. Or anybody with an agenda coming into town from out of town. I I have my reservations about his past performance and his public persona. This is cameras I'm talking about, by the way. I haven't mentioned the name. I just keep saying him. Let me clarify. But I'm also a hopeful person. And so I hope that whatever plan that he decides to implement, whatever they come up with is fully researched, fully taken into account the people's lives and the children's lives who are going to be impacted all the way from teachers. When I say people, I mean teachers to janitors in the school to the kids to the parents, to the other people in the city affected by students' outcomes. I am hopeful that whatever he comes up with is going to change and turn around this system, that we finally get what we deserve, what our kids deserve here. But like I said, I'm naturally suspicious, and so I'm trying to wrap my head around all of this. At a super high level, going back a little bit and not just looking specific to Richmond with cameras, what do you think about teacher evaluations and performance-based pay? And not, again, speaking just at face value, not specific to any one school district. Let's just be very general with it. Do you think that there is a place and a way where teacher evaluations and performance-based pay should belong in any school district? Like, what's your just idea about the concept? My natural reaction is to say no, that I don't think performance-based pay is fair or a true evaluator of actual performance. I, I don't think like that... Like, just for teachers? Just for okay. teachers. I think it's very difficult, and there's so many factors that go into the student outcomes from teacher performance. There's so many factors and right now I don't think we have a system really to effectively evaluate and pay teachers based on their performance. I'm doing air quotes performance. I I don't think that currently we have a workable system for that. I, I don't see, I'm, I'm not putting that together in my mind that there's enough factors to that could to fall into place to make that fair. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it yeah. does. What about you, Francesca, with your mom as a teacher? I mean, what do you think, first of all, of course, about cameras and his role is just kind of your big wrap-up summary, but then also specifically about the role of teacher evaluations on a general basis, not specific to Richmond? So I'll do both in general and to Richmond. So in general, I think that for any job, whether you're a teacher or a janitor or a lunch lady, complacency breeds 
stunted growth. And so these types of evaluations that are incentive-based do help people challenge themselves to not grow into complacency with their jobs, regardless of what their jobs are. So that, from that standpoint, it's great. I like that point of it. However, one of the issues that I have with incentive-based programs in terms of evaluations, especially for teachers in areas or cities that have high poverty rates and kind of, I don't know what you'd call it, but you've got centralized areas of poverty within different districts. So you've got, you know, let's say you've got two elementary schools. I won't name any just to be nice or anything, but you know, you have one elementary school in a district that is going to perform a lot better. And if you look at the numbers and the demographics, the one that's going to perform more poorly and be more likely to perform poorly is going to be the elementary school that's in the area of poverty. That also reflects when you start talking about teachers that are going to be recruited to that area. The salaries are going to be hard, you know, going to be lower. Those teachers are going to face different challenges than teachers that are in districts or areas within the same district that have schools that have better resources or the kids are not dealing with the same type of symptoms of poverty. And so then you put me on, you know, is this impact program going to a lot for that? No, because it doesn't, in the in the rubric, it talks about job description and position, not all these other factors that can contribute to you performing your job in a particular area compared to a teacher in another area. So I have an issue, I guess, with that because you're going to have teachers, you're, I would assume that you'd probably have high teacher turnover as a result in areas where that are already challenged, where you have newer, there are most likely also to be newer teachers, so less experienced with lower salaries and you're going to implement a program if if that does happen you're implementing a program that's going to evaluate them based on their performance and they're already up against a different level of challenges that may not exist across the river and see that's why i feel like evaluating teacher performance is not the same as say evaluating some accountant's performance and paying them based on their performance. There's so many factors that affect the way teachers do their jobs, but it's not the same as, say, you know, some schlub in a cubicle. But it's, it's also the criteria that's, I think, what's what's not being said here, or it has been said, actually, is the what actual criteria is being used to judge teacher evaluation and its test scores and, and student performance. Right, which are biased. And, well, not only biased, but, you know, you're gonna it's you're gonna face more challenges. I mean, look at the state that Richmond Public Schools are in now. That's why we need, you know, fresh eyes on this situation. But one of the things that we're dealing with is, you know, poor facilities and a lot of symptoms of poverty, dealing with the whole child. And then you're expecting I mean, I, I, it just seems like to me a lot of teachers are gonna be getting set up for failure with a program like this if some of these other issues aren't addressed first. They're going to be getting judged based on student test scores, which, you know, one of the reasons why we're dealing with this right now is because the test scores are so low. And it's not low because that's a bad teacher necessarily. It could be low because the truancy officers can't find the kids. Right. And now you're going to have a principal that's going to say, oh my gosh, just Mark, Derry, Johnny, and Lucy present because we can't find them. We know they're not here, but I can't, they're, they're going to cost me my bonus. I got something else in the mail on Saturday. <sighs> Oh my gosh. From RPS looking for these two children. I can't. That's what I'm saying. Like that's that's what so in a case like that, you think about a, a stubborn, a very, very stubborn, like continual problem, such as that one particular case. Whoever the principal of that school is, I'm sure it, I don't know if it's come across their desk or not, but I can guarantee you that if an impact, uh, if it's a part of, you know, student attendance is a part of 
of their impact evaluation and they've realized that Johnny and Jamie are missing, you know, 40 days of the year out and that's becoming a problem and they're pretty close to the 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 line of getting their their bonus versus not getting it cuz they can't find James and Jimmy. And you know, that principal is now going to have a choice, a moral choice. Am I going to mark them present to get my bonus or maybe I'll get in the car <laughs> and drive out here and find out the story for myself and then we'll figure out the next time James and Jimmy come to school, Miss Thomas, you I need you to call me down there because I need to find out where these kids are staying so that we know. I mean, it's going to either propel people to do above and beyond or it's going to propel people to do the least amount possible to just get to the finish line. That's my fear of impact. That's my fear that because it's going to help some teachers improve, but it's also going to bring out the worst in in some too. I'm really torn on it because as somebody who is a performance manager, on a daily basis, I have to motivate people towards goals. And these are people that I have no direct control over. So I am actually somebody who is rated on performances that I don't have direct control over every single day. So that said, when we talk about things like an accountant, in my opinion, there actually are goals that you could put on an accountant that they have no impact over. So if you're in an accounting firm and you're filing taxes, for example, and you are being rated on percentage of savings for people or percentage of tax returns. Some of that might be geared towards who comes in. That's not something you have direct control over. So for me, when I look at things like impact, if you're going to do a teacher evaluation system, you have to come up with metrics that people feel that they, as an individual, can, pun partially intended, impact. (laughs) Yeah, that was rough. So (laughs) that said, when I look at the profession of teaching, I'm not sure that I can come up with, in my own mind, completely objective things that a teacher can influence on a day-to-day basis. If I look at a professional like an accountant, I absolutely can find day-to-day stuff. You could look at like, what is your turnaround time of responses? You could in theory come up with some of that stuff with teachers of what's your turnaround time on talking to parents. But my concern is, can you come up with as many objective things as possible that take it outside of test scores and those type of ratings? Mm -hmm. I'm not sure you can. And to me, that's not a good evaluation system. In a place where you can't have a good evaluation system, then you shouldn't have one. So to me, if there was a way to say this is a good teacher evaluation system and there was a model out there that actually had the most objective metrics that specifically, not just objective, but that teachers can impact because there are also things in there such as student surveys on culture. And that's a much more minor point of their like weighting on some of it. Um, The test scores of things are absolutely a little bit higher. But for me, I, I do worry about that side of it. And does that make sense? So that said, there's a couple things in impact that I think are important. And it's really the LEAP program in theory. And mean the LATAP program? The LATAP program. <laughs> because for me, and even the LIFT program. So the LIFT program is like a, a career ladder that shows teachers their path. I think that's important for teachers to see that they are able to earn with tenure benefits. Right. Yes. And maybe... It might not be money. It might be something else. Who knows? But then also you look at saying, what's a leap? And that's a place for teachers to be able to step up to the plate and help coach their peers. It's to provide them with consistent professional development that they need. And yeah, there are professional development programs here in Richmond, but I really like the idea of the leadership roles because the more people you're able to develop as leaders in a, in a building, the better off you're going to be at the end of the day because you're having people think and look at things at a, in a different perspective. And that's a level of professional development that I think is important for anybody to have regardless of industry because you need to be able to have the skill 
to performance manage somebody in the absence of your direct control over what their outcome is, especially. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so important for our teachers to have these skills. For me, if we're looking at what is this program, I'm not convinced that you're ever going to find an evaluation system that I personally could agree with because I don't think you can be objective and in control at all times. That (laughs) said, I, I do think that we need to look at the positive things of this. And are there goals and things that teachers maybe could hit where they could have different types of incentives or enjoyment, like positive days or things like that? Probably. Should it be tied to test scores? No. I think everything that we need to do is need to be looking at specifically what is going to make them a better teacher and more effective in the classroom and set those benchmarks there. If it's smaller bonuses, even of professional development, I could get there. I could. Of saying, you know, as you complete these programs and you're demonstrating this ability through a graduation process of a program that helps you be a better teacher because to me that's about supporting our teachers who need to become leaders in the classroom in their community and in their school building it's not about just slapping somebody on the wrist saying do this not this do this not this because that just boils down education of a child to something that is so black and white it it, it's not realistic whereas i think supporting people positively can have a very similar outcome right give the teachers a sense of purpose not a sense of fear yes exactly what it is that's a great way to sum it up melissa and, and that's, I think, where I have concerns about it. And I think that's where, when you look at cameras, I think that's he is, brings a lot to the table when it comes to being a leader who can be a transformational leader and inspire people because he's charismatic, because he cares as much as he does. And he can relate those facts and communicate those facts. And we can't stiphen or stifle or... Stifle? Stifle. stifle. There we go. Not stiphen. Like, what am I even doing? So I would we like can't a stipend. stifle his ability to be that leader because we're going to be so obstructionist that we won't even... Every little thing he does, no matter what it is, is absolutely a concern and problem. But we also need to find a place where we're able to have the conversations, especially as we start moving forward and he starts moving forward on creating this vision plan with the school district. All right, so today we talked about a lot of different stuff, especially around cameras and our opinions, especially on what teacher valuation and performance pay is and what that really means for Richmond Public Schools in the most general of ways. So this, as a reminder, was part one of a two-part segment. So while this is intended to be more educational about general information and concerns with the program, our next episode is going to be focusing more on what direction is Superintendent Cameras going with at this point, uh, which is not necessarily impact, but what has he stated already and talk about what his vision and plans are for Richmond Public Schools. So be sure to tune in next week for part two. Okay, that'll do it for this week's Melissa's Birthday edition of RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania. Thank you for the wishes that I know you're giving me right now on the other side of the radio. Our show is produced by the RVA Dirt Crew right here in the studios of WRILP 97.3 FM Richmond. And our theme song is Manic Monday because most municipal meetings happen on Mondays, you guys. Song was originally written by Prince Fun Fact and recorded by the Bengals. And this version was done on Super Mario Paint. Yeah. If you'd like to continue the conversation or start a new one with us, don't forget to hit us up at RVA Dirt on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you for joining us this week, and we'll see you next Wednesday, right back here at 11 a.m. on WRIRLP 97.3 FM, Richmond Independent Radio.